our lives. We know that all that we are, all that we enjoy in our relationship with you, how we see life, how we live, the person that we are is 100% your grace. And thank you that not a single one of our lives or all of our lives together have remotely come close to exhausting your amazing grace. Thank you. And Jesus, we just think about you tonight and meditate upon you, your work upon the cross for us, your love for us. We're humbled by that. And what you were willing to endure and then your burial and your resurrection and then all of that impacting our lives and winning a victory, Lord, not for yourself, but winning it in a way that you could share it with us and the greatness of our need. We love you tonight. We're thankful for you tonight. And we pray, Father, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit now, that you would give us the ability to hear your voice through your word. And we know that your word is a closed book to us, apart from your spirit. It was a closed book to so many of us for so many years. And then it opened up by your spirit. We pray that you would open it up to us tonight, Lord, in accordance with your plans and your purposes for this chapter in each one of our lives. And we pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good evening to you. It's pretty weak. Um, good evening to you. All right, there we go. And uh, let's turn to Daniel chapter 6 tonight. Study through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Come to chapter 6. If you're with us tonight without a Bible, just wave to one of these guys coming up the aisle. I'll get a Bible into your hand, mark to our passage this, this evening. And then the Lord wants everyone to own a Bible, and we certainly want everyone to own and know about their Bible. So if you don't own a Bible, make that gift, the Bible, a gift from the Lord to you um, tonight. By the way, have a blessed Thanksgiving, and uh, in case I forget, uh, later on. When we come to chapter 6 here, uh, we realize as we follow, uh, chapter 5 was a record of the fall of the Babylonian Empire under the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, a gentleman by the name of uh, Belshazzar. And so now, in terms of the whole chronology of the book of Daniel, the Babylonian Empire fades off of the scene, and it is replaced now by the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, exactly as uh, God had uh, told Nebuchadnezzar that it would in, in both the dream and the interpretation of the great image that he saw in Daniel uh, chapter 2. And so God's plan uh, unfolds. The head of gold gave way to the chest and the arms of silver. Daniel is in his uh, late 80s at the time of chapter 6. And, uh, and chapter 6 deals with one of the most famous events uh, in Daniel's life, and that is his uh, night that he spent in the lion's den. Never think of him as a youth or a teenager or a child uh, or a young adult in that uh, lion's den. He is a very elderly man by the time he's placed in there, uh, as vulnerable as anybody could possibly be in that situation. And so we pick it up in verse 1. And it pleased Darius, and Darius, uh, along with King Cyrus, the initial the couple of leaders uh, of the, the new kid on the block, the Medo-Persian Empire, it pleased uh, King Darius to set over uh, the kingdom, this Babylonian kingdom that he had conquered, uh, 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these uh, 120, he put three governors, of whom Daniel was one, uh, that the satraps might give account uh, to them so that the king would suffer no loss. And so here he, uh, King Darius, as he becomes now the, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, he will ultimately be su uh, supplanted by uh, King Cyrus, who will give the decree for the Jews to return. 
uh, back to Israel, uh, the land of Israel under his, uh, his reign. But in conquering another empire as massive as the Babylonian Empire was, and without destroying the city of Babylon in, in order to do so, you immediately have the uh, front and center in terms of your attention is now how in the world do we govern this? So you have a lot of people all through history, if you read history at all, you have a lot of uh, people who are very good at conquering. They're very good at war. Uh, but then once they've conquered what they've conquered, they have no idea. Uh, what to do with it. Uh, church splits are like that a lot of times. There's people who are very good at conquering, uh, but once they get what they want, they have no idea what to, to do with it. And uh, so uh, it is the rare leader who is both a great conqueror and then is able to properly administrate into prosperity what it is that he or she has conquered. And uh, uh, King Darius was one of those latter kings. Uh, to, he had responsibility now to make this thing run smoothly so that the Medo-Persian Empire could last for a long time. The government that he, he set up as a structure is that he set up these 120 satraps who were basically like our House of Representatives. They were over various portions of the Medo-Persian Empire and they ruled as an extension of, of his rule into the various parts uh, of the empire. And then in order to uh, provide uh, accountability, uh, he put three leaders, three governors over the 120 satraps in order to uh, kind of, uh, th- uh, their purpose was, as we're plainly told there at the end of Uh, of verse 2, so that the king would suffer no loss. They were there to make sure that there was no corruption going on, that these 120 were not doing their own thing independent of the king and were not uh, pilfering taxes or anything uh, like uh, like that. And so Daniel was put in the position of one of these three. Now, this is fascinating in the light of chapter 5 where uh, Daniel had to be called from another section of the palace to come in and to interpret the handwriting on the wall there in the palace in, in uh, uh, Babylon. And uh, here is Belshazzar. He has no use for Daniel at all. Daniel is sitting on a shelf somewhere. I mean, it's the old saying, it's a dollar uh, waiting on a dime. I mean, inconceivable that he would do it, but he did it. But again, is an indication of Darius's and ultimately uh, uh, Cyrus's wisdom is they looked at the capability of a man like Daniel and they realized, you don't put a guy like this on a shelf, you not only don't send him out into early retirement, you don't send him out into retirement at all. Uh, you give him a, p- a position of prominence. And of course, Daniel with his long history as a prominent uh, leader under Nebuchadnezzar over the Babylonian Empire. He already had the relationships with all of the different people uh, around the empire. It was a familiar face for them, someone that they trusted. And, uh, and so uh, uh, King Darius, he's going to take advantage uh, of that. So, uh, so far, so good. And, and I don't think that is a part of Daniel being uh, elevated here to one of these three governor positions. Uh, without a doubt, uh, Darius must have heard about Daniel's interpretation of the handwriting on the wall that uh, God used him to interpret what would be uh, the final night of Belshazzar's reign and uh, the coming of the Medo-Persian Empire before the night was over and conquering uh, Babylon. And they, they, he heard about the giftedness of Daniel, and so he's going to uh, make uh, use of them. Uh, Darius, is, is, is he's considering Daniel, so he's got all of these new people kind of around him. Uh, not all of them knew. He would have brought his own men in these places, but a lot of them were new. And uh, Daniel, in this position of governor, he distinguished himself uh, not only above the 120 satraps, but he distinguished himself. He rose head and shoulders above even the other two uh, governors. And the the reason for it is because he had an excellent spirit in him. And, uh, and of course, uh, this spoke not only to uh, his character, the God, his uh, 
godly character, but also speaking to that supernatural something about his life uh, that the Holy Spirit brings to a person's life. Uh, the phrase there, because an excellent spirit was in him, there is no more excellent a spirit that we can have in us than the Holy Spirit. When you think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as it's listed there in Galatians chapter 5, and uh, wonderful to think as Christians, we are indwelt by an excellent spirit that's going to give us uh, a favor, it's going to give us uh, a, a, a gifting and, and aptitude that we wouldn't uh, otherwise uh, have. And so uh, here he is in, in, in uh, this excellent spirit in him uh, being recognized by the king. And, and so prominent did he impress King Darius that the king gave thought to putting, uh, setting him over the entire realm. This, uh, uh, now you would have the, the governors, you would have the satraps, and then Daniel would be over the entire thing. And uh, so this guy, now these people aren't easy to impress. And he's very impressed with, uh, with Daniel. And as a result of this consideration, and apparently it became news around the palace that this was something uh, that he was, was considering. And so the governors, the other two, and the satraps, the 120, they sought to find some charge against Daniel uh, concerning the kingdom. And so they immediately, they, uh, they are moved with uh, jealousy, they are moved by uh, selfish ambition, and they seek now to find a charge uh, against Daniel, some kind of dirt, some kind of wrongdoing in him to then bring to King Darius uh, that would cause King Darius to sour on the idea of making Daniel uh, the head over all of them. And so uh, they felt that somehow the excellence of Daniel's abilities in his character, that somehow that represented a, a barrier to their own uh, advancement. And so they look at it and they think, well, the solution to this problem is uh, not to look at Daniel's life and the excellency of it and then say the lesson to be learned from Daniel's life is to become as uh, great in spirit and in character as he is or to excel him. I mean, if, if you want his position, that's the way to do that. Uh, but they don't uh, look at it that way. Uh, they uh, they uh, seek then to, uh, to destroy uh, uh, Daniel rather than trying to excel him by their own uh, skill and their own integrity. Of course, uh, destroying someone who is greater than you in any way as opposed to uh, becoming as great as they are in whatever they do or excelling that, uh, destruction is always the easier path. Um, just to uh, destroy them, to wipe them out. It's a lot easier to destroy them in some way and, uh, rather than going through all the effort of excelling them. And, of course, there's nothing new under the sun. This is what goes on in our culture and in our nation uh, all day, every day, uh, this, uh, this attempt to destroy people that are in higher positions than another person is in. In the old days, uh, you would supplant them by becoming greater than them. You would do it the old-fashioned way. You would earn it. Uh, but now as, uh, there's this whole uh, the thing where we don't possess the character that we once possessed, and now in order to remove people that are clearly better than us, uh, we will now endeavor to destroy their lives uh, by seeking dirt uh, on their, uh, their uh, lives. And of course, the person who resorts to that kind of a device is revealing that they're absolutely not qualified to hold uh, any position at all in life, much less a higher one, and, uh, and, and the one that they think that they deserve, and, and the desire to uh, gain that position, uh, not on the basis of merit, but, uh, but on the basis of, of their, their pride and their, their jealousy. And this, this thing that we see going on around us, all around us today, uh, this, the the, the uh, sequential 
uh, destruction or attempt to destroy the reputation and uh, mar the reputation and the character uh, of leaders and of men and women who are uh, of accomplishment and men and women of great character, uh, this has a disastrous end um, if, if that is not pushed back. If the internet trolls and uh, whoever holds even more power than they do in terms of uh, in government and all, all of these kind of things, uh, if it becomes the, it becomes uh, simple and becomes uh, uh, something that happens without, uh, without variation, then uh, ultimately you're going to destroy uh, ev every leader uh, that, uh, that exists. And leaders are not a dime a dozen. Uh, and, and you can end up uh, creating a culture as we uh, probably already have, but if we haven't, we're very near creating that culture where no one will step forward to be a leader uh, because too much of the entire machinery will rise up in an attempt to destroy them. And so here we see the same thing. Again, nothing new under the sun. Uh, this is somebody we don't like, and so let's find some dirt on this person and try to destroy them uh, rather than to uh, excel them. And, uh, and, and uh, you, in this environment, where in the world are you going to find leaders uh, who are going to ultimately hold positions on the basis of their talent, on the basis of their character and, and, and merit? Those folks are needed, and you drive all of them out, and, and what's the, uh, the alternative? And, and this is the challenge of large institutions. It is the challenge of governments uh, or very, very large companies and uh, uh, these structured organizations. They can be filled with such jealousy, such envy, such pettiness that, uh, that all of the, the, the greatest people within that, that environment can be uh, replaced or just worn out. Uh, by, by this kind of uh, office uh, politics. And unfortunately, this kind of thing is always trying to establish itself uh, in churches as well, as well. And so this is what the Bible refers to as being uh, persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's what's happening to Daniel, uh, being persecuted simply for being right and simply for uh, doing uh, the right thing. And so they, they seek to find some charge of, of wrongdoing uh, uh, against him. And, uh, and, and it's quite a thing. You've got two governors, you've got 120 satraps, and they have joined together as one, uh, it, it united in one goal, and that is to destroy uh, Daniel. That's quite an office coup. Uh, that, that, is, uh, that is going on. And so, uh, a very uh, politics, really, it's always been a rough sport. It was a rough sport at the time of, of Darius uh, as, as well. And so, this was the attempt that they were uh, making, and then that wonderful word, but, in the middle of verse 4, but they could find no charge or fault. Isn't that amazing? Uh, because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault in him. So in terms of character, in terms of honesty, in terms of integrity, in terms of his work ethic, uh, in terms of how he conducted himself, his professionalism, the skill with which he brought to the position, they couldn't find any fault or error uh, in him. But these guys, are, these aren't people that are going to give up. Uh, it's just these little, uh, what are they, Lilliputians? I mean, it's just these little people that just are, are awful, and, uh, but they do exist. And so uh, they, uh, they said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel, this Daniel, uh, unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And so this is, they said this is the only way. Somehow we're going to have to set something up where we know the one thing that is unmoving related to his life is his relationship with God. We know the one thing he will never compromise, the one thing that he will never change is, is his relationship with God. So our only hope is to, uh, 
put something in place in terms of law that will put the worship of his God uh, uh, up against uh, the law of the Medes and the Persians. That's our only hope, uh, uh, they concluded. Uh, and, and so that's the path they started down. And so these governors and satraps, uh, they came up with their idea, and now they spring it. Uh, upon uh, the king. And so the governors and satraps, they thronged before the king. So they came in and, and uh, all of their numbers in the Aramaic, the, the word throng there, it means to be in tumult. They come into the, uh, the king's uh, chambers. They overwhelm him with their sheer uh, numbers to give uh, the impression that the support for what they're about to propose is absolutely unanimous. And so they throng before the king and this is what they said to him. King Darius, live forever. And then they said, all of the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, and the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree. You notice that first word of verse uh, uh, 7 there, the word all. <laughs> no, everybody wasn't there. Uh, we know at least one person wasn't there, and his name is Daniel. Uh, the, the one that's being considered for all of this, the, uh, one of the three most prominent being considered for the head of everything, and uh, Daniel is not there. And so just a, a, a flat-out lies, a lie, but lies never get in the way of, of these kind of, uh, of people. And so uh, they then uh, propose the, uh, the, the, the proposal that they wanted to make to, uh, to Darius, uh, and here it is that whoever petitions any god or man uh, for 30 days, uh, except you, O king, uh, shall be cast into uh, the den of lions. So they didn't know that Daniel wasn't going to compromise not one day. Uh, so they give themselves 30 days here. Uh, they could have approached him and he could have saved them all the problem. Just one day will be sufficient in this. And, and, and they, they put out this decree with the idea of uh, getting rid of, of Daniel. And uh, you notice that uh, a failure to keep that decree O king, at the end of verse 7, uh, that person shall be cast into the den of lions. So this is pretty serious business. These people uh, controlling uh, every single position of power, except King Darius's position and Daniel's position, they don't just want Daniel removed from his position. Now they want him uh, dead because they know as long as he lives, being the person he is, he is going to expose them for who and what uh, uh, they actually are. And so now, O king, they said, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Now the law of the Medes and the Persians... Uh, under their law, they set up a thing that if the king uh, signed a decree that was made in the, uh, 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 that was uh, 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 the law of the Medes and the Persians, according to the laws of the Medes, Medes and the Persians, that once that law was in place, it couldn't be changed. Uh, this is why King Darius and the Medo-Persian Empire was a lesser empire to the Babylonian Empire and represented by silver rather than uh, gold in the image in, in Daniel chapter 2 because Nebuchadnezzar's power was absolute. When Nebuchadnezzar spoke, that was law. Anytime he was talking, he was enacting law. And that's the kind of power that he had. Uh, the Medo-Persian Empire was a little bit different. They established laws, and then even the king and leaders were then under those laws. It seems like a goofy way to set things up, to make a law on the basis of the Medes and the Persians. And, uh, you know, you can have an off day. You can pass a bad law. Uh, and uh, maybe you just want to go uh, back and change it, but now the law is in place. And so why would you ever do this kind of thing? And the reason that they established this whole 
uh, a failure to uh, the the prohibition to revoke any uh, law of the Medes and the Persians that had been en- enacted was essentially to curb corruption. Uh, so that because a decree, once it was given, that was set, even the king couldn't change that for you. So nobody could come and pressure even a king or someone in a high position to uh, uh, skirt this particular law because of influence or bribes or relationship or anything like that. So like every law of man, you know, you, you aim at a certain thing that might be noble and then there's unintended consequences. And, and that was the case. And, and King Darius, uh, he was uh, uh, happy here to uh, then uh, sign uh, the written uh, decree. And so here he is. He's in the early year or two of, of, uh, of establishing this kingdom and uh, transitioning the empire from the Babylonian empire to the Medo-Persian empire. And uh, so all of this expression of loyalty to him and, and uh, uh, the uh, uh, respect for him and respect for his authority, uh, probably very flattering to him, and he had no reason to suspect in any way that this was what they were uh, they were up to, and uh, and uh, and there certainly is no uh, no more effective way to um, to manipulate another person than through flattery. Wow. What else have you noticed about me? I'm putty in your hands. You start flattering uh, us. And so he was flattered by that. There is a, there's nothing wrong with encouragement. Encouragement is very, very important, especially in the body of Christ, but not always in, in general. Encouragement is not flattery. But uh, there are those times, I think, that we all hit in our lives where uh, somebody goes a little bit too far. And you go, I'm being schmoozed here. And uh, this has gone from encouragement. They're working me over toward an end here. And whenever you start to feel, wow, this person is flattering me, and, uh, and, uh, and, and you get the sense that it's turning into manipulation, pull back, you know, something where you, even we, as, as egocentric as we can become, uh, would look at what they're saying and say, listen, something isn't right here. Even I don't believe that about myself, you know. And, uh, and, but he falls for uh, all of it. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing had been signed, so it wasn't long before he found out that all of this has occurred, this law was now in place, uh, that he uh, had a bunker built into his room in the palace, and he hid for 30 days. Now, that's not what happened. Uh, He went home, and in his upper room, he goes to, to the room, the upper room where there's all of the windows that have the lattice coverings on them for the breezes to go through and the heat of, uh, of that, that part of the world. And uh, his op- uh, windows were open toward Jerusalem. And then notice what he did. Not, I mean, it didn't even take till day two. Day one, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. <laughs> And he prayed and he gave thanks before his God uh, as was his custom since the early days. So the decree is made and he doesn't make any uh, changes at, at all. And uh, he, his pattern was to worship the Lord, pray to God three times a day, uh, probably to begin the day, then again at noon, and then at the, at the end of the day, we're told that he prayed toward uh, Jerusalem, and, and he did that in obedience to the Word of God. Uh, in, in the, uh, elsewhere in the Old Testament, there was the, the um, uh, prayer that was made, I think, by Solomon to the Lord that if the children of Israel ever were displaced from the land and, uh, and uh, as they were, um, that in their places of captivity, that if they prayed toward Jerusalem, that the Lord, in repentance, that the Lord would listen to them. And so Daniel is obeying that. He prayed uh, while on his knees. Uh, There's a lot of different positions that we can pray in. It doesn't always have to be on our knees. But praying on his knees uh, uh, symbolized the condition of his heart. 
uh, before the Lord. It's how he saw himself uh, before uh, God. It was a position of humility that he took, uh, probably to remind himself of something when he prayed. It isn't a bad idea. It gets harder the older you get. But it isn't a bad idea to every once in a while pray on our knees, uh, just to remind us of uh, from that posture uh, what, uh, what we're uh, really engaged in there and, uh, and, and, and how to properly view our relationship uh, with, uh, with the Lord. He, it tells us, very interesting, here it is Thanksgiving week, that in all of this he prayed and he gave thanks. He said, give thanks. He just found out about this decree that he knows he's going to violate here now and, and is presently violating and is going to be, uh, have him thrown into a den of lions and he gives thanks? How in the world can he give thanks? Well, Paul said in the New Testament, and he wasn't uh, unfamiliar with difficulty in life, threats on his life all of the time. And he said, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And no matter how dire the circumstances are, no matter how uh, life-threatening the circumstances might be within our life, there's always a cause, always reason for thanksgiving. There is an entire world of substance, of reality that is a part of our life that is given to us by God that lies far beyond the reach of any circumstance that we find ourselves in, in, in life and who and what we are in Christ Jesus. And so Daniel, Daniel uh, uh, gives the Lord thanks in that environment. So often, and it's, it's a good model for us, if, you know, typically, if we find ourselves in this situation, we would be so, not speaking for you, but maybe for you, and certainly for me, the, the potential to be so dominated by the immediate direness of the circumstance uh, that we would lose sight that there's anything to be thankful for uh, in life. And he's able to, the remarkable man, he was able to uh, take even something as, as dire as this and put it up against the big picture of who he was and what he was in God and God's blessings uh, within, within his uh, life. And so he makes no attempt to hide his devotion uh, to God. This had been his practice, we're told, from uh, the very beginning, probably right when he came into uh, the, the captivity in the, the Babylonian Empire. And, uh, and he would rather die than uh, forsake this relationship with God. And so this relationship that he had with God, um, a, a relationship that was current, it was daily, uh, it was uh, 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 current in each part of the day, to begin the day, the middle of the day, the end of the day. He had this living, ongoing conversation and relationship with God. And when he looked at the threat of death over here, a physical death over here, and he looked at um, the death of what he had with God over here spiritually, the choice was easy for him. For him, the choice was easy. He said, I would rather die a physical death than to lose this with God. And that's what his relationship uh, meant to him. And uh, that there was nothing anyone could do to him that would look at and, and that would make him move away from that. I don't, I don't doubt that Daniel here now in his, in his uh, late 80s and all that he's in the middle of, um, that he, he knew, given the pagan environment that he was in, the pressures that he was in, the spiritual warfare that was involved in that, he realized that, a, that the whole reason for his effectiveness, the whole reason for everything in his life was this time with God, this relationship with God. And he was so dependent upon it that uh, to lose that would be to lose, to lose everything. I do think it's one of the great things about uh, growing older in the Lord. The longer and longer we walk uh, with the Lord, the more dependent we become upon Him, 
uh, to where this kind of meeting with God on a daily basis, this kind of current uh, relationship uh, uh, with God uh, becomes not something that some uh, Bible teacher or pastor tells us we need to do. It becomes something that we look at and say, that's how I get through the day. That's how I make it in life, it is that area of my life. So you look at Daniel, and you try to figure him out a little bit, and, and you say, look at the remarkable life that's th- uh, there before us. And we'll get to the lions, for those of you who I, I'm, I'm losing here in a moment. Uh, so just want to remind you, it's coming. Uh, but... but We try to figure him out. We know from the first chapter when he's this young man trying to figure out what makes a Daniel a Daniel, that purpose of heart that he he had, uh, an unwillingness to compromise the things uh, of God and his convictions between him and God. And then uh, here we see uh, another aspect of his life, and that is uh, the prayer. And, uh, and no doubt disciplines in his life related to the reading of God's Word. He, he will see later that he's reading Jeremiah's prophecies at this point, and he realizes that uh, the Jews are going to be released from their captivity and go back into the land. And so we see prayer, we see this devotion to God, uh, we see uh, the, the study of the Word of God, and these things uh, are are at the foundation. These are the inner foundation of the man that we see on, on the outside. Uh, Daniel, so I think it's easy to look, come to the book of Daniel and say, there's Daniel. I mean, this is who Daniel was from the womb. This is who he was by personality. There was no sacrifice involved in this. There was no discipline involved in this. No saying no to the flesh and yes to God in the life that we see in the Scriptures here. Daniel had a God gene that not everybody has. And and then we can build this tremendous distance between ourselves and Daniel so that his life doesn't challenge us. And, uh, and, but the fact of the matter is, he's exactly like you and I. But he had disciplines within his life, not legalism, but disciplines within his life that are all over the, the, the Scriptures here that reveal this was at the foundation. And at the, at the core of even the foundation was a love for God and a personal relationship with Him. That's the explanation uh, for his life. It, it's a, you know sometimes it can get a, a little tedious for a pastor, and you know we'll, we will mention it as often as is necessary, and I certainly will as often as the Lord uh, wants. Uh, you know I feel like He wants me to. But talking about the need for a daily prayer time with the Lord, a daily time in reading the Scriptures, a time of communing uh, with God, a time of, uh, of uh, to nurture the relationship with God and to grow in that relationship, known as a quiet time or known as a devotional time and and you put it forth 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 and then and some people listen and then some people don't but no one will ever ever know the quality of life and and usefulness for the kingdom that we see in Daniel apart from those same disciplines uh, marking uh, our lives as well a personal relationship with God that means more to us than life itself and staying current in that personal relationship. And then these men, they assembled. Uh, they, they, uh, they didn't need to send any drones. This is ancient uh, history. They're huddled around just like a bunch of school kids uh, uh, around the building and listening to him prayer, watching or whatever. And they found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and they spoke concerning the king's decree. And they said, have you not signed? You know, like, oh, by the way, is it... Is it 
This kind of jars my memory a little bit. It, it, um, have you not signed a decree here that every man who petitions any god or man uh, within 30 days except you, O king, shall be thrown into the dot li- uh, den of lions? Uh, king, does that, does that ring a bell for you at, at, at all? And the king answered and said, uh, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. And so they answered... Everything is going very nice for them at this point. It ends badly, by the way. Uh, they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, for, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Ah, so a little anti-Semitism in here. That Daniel from among the captives of Judah. And more than anti-Semitism, it is just anti-anyone who worships the God of the Bible, the true and living God. That was, uh, you know, uh, adherence to Judaism under the Old Covenant, and, and now it, it is to be a Christian, whether Jew or Gentile. And, and here was their problem with, with Daniel. And, uh, and, and so uh, he is from that religion, he follows that God. You know, barring a revival, uh, do you think that the United States of America will ever elect an openly Christian uh, president again in, in our history? It used to be you had to you, uh, vow that you were a Christian even if you weren't in order to uh, gain the presidency of the United States. And now it's an absolute liability. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's just the same kind of pressure. Here is that one of those people, uh, you know, that knows God and worships God and, and the, the jealousy related uh, to all of it. And then they make it personal for him. You know, what, what he's doing here, uh, King Darius, is he's poking you in the eye. I, and, and so this is, uh, uh, he, he doesn't show due regard uh, for you at all. And now they're going to turn that up inside of, of, of Darius. And that's an easy thing to manipulate as, as well. Uh, of course, Daniel did what he did uh, out of uh, no personal animosity toward King uh, Darius at all. But they're going to make it personal so that he'll give the decree that they want him to make. And the king, when he heard these words, he was greatly displeased with himself. Not with Daniel. Bing! The light goes on in the comic strip. In an instant, he realizes what's going on here. And he he, he is displeased with himself that he has fallen for this plan that now he sees as clear uh, as, as can be uh, before his very uh, eyes. And so here he is. Now he's displeased with himself. And, and uh, let me say, if you are among the 120 satraps and the other two governors, if you're going to play this game, you better win this game because you poke this guy in the eye and you do dirty to him like they did here, trying to uh, circumvent and use his authority, manipulate his authority and use him like a puppet and a dupe to accomplish their will, that's not going to go over very well. And it doesn't end up going over very well. And so he realizes that's what's happened to him, and immediately he set his heart on Daniel. And it doesn't say he set his heart to deliver Daniel. He set his heart on Daniel. This is the respect he had for Daniel. And, and then with the intent of, uh, of delivering him. 
and he labored until going, the, the going down of the sun to deliver him. So apparently when this decree was violated, uh, the, the uh, enforcement of the decree had to be uh, done uh, that very day. So he had one day to try and find a loophole and the law of the Medes and the Persians, but there was no loophole even for the king. But he tried. And so the sun is going down now, and it's time to deliver uh, Daniel to the lion's den. And then these men approached the king, and they said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. They hear he's trying to figure a way around this, and they let him know it can't, uh, can't be done. These guys, you ever hear the old saying, uh, he's, they're digging their own grave? Uh, they're, they're digging their own grave. And so the king had to do it. He gave the command, and they brought Daniel, and they cast him into the den uh, of lions. And so it wasn't like they threw him down from three stories up down into the thing. Uh, they opened up the gates to it and they cast him inside and then uh, sealed the gates as we uh, 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 would have been the case on things. He's cast into that uh, den of lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, your God whom you conti- uh, continue, who, who you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, I don't know that he believed that, but he's trying to encourage Daniel because he's going to spend a sleepless night fasting and and concerned for Daniel's uh, welfare. So Daniel gets cast into this uh, lion's den. When I was a boy at the San Francisco Zoo, maybe they still do it, at 2 o'clock they fed the lions. And you'd go into that building and those lions would be let out into their cage and they're going back and forth, back and forth. And then the men would come out with the wheelbarrows of these big chunks of meat and they would throw, then, you know, uh, you know, stab it with these hooks and then throw it inside of the little opening and, and then you'd watch the lions bat the meat around in order to give it some appearance of life. I mean, they've got their dignity. They want to kill something and uh, try to give the appearance of life and then they'd settle down and, and just uh, uh, eat it. And as, as a young boy, you know, eight years old, I was just thinking, man, if one of those gates got open, that guy's a dead man. And they're gonna, they'd get warm meat, you know. Um, but if you ever watch those TV shows where the, the lions and, and they're out, on, uh, uh, you know, uh, stalking some prey and all, and you, just, and you think to yourself, at least if you're like me, you said, what would it be like to be out in the middle of that and a lion's coming uh, after you? I mean, what would you do? I mean, there's just this sheer panic. And then one of the most disturbing things about lions is they're, they're very content to start eating you uh, before you're dead. Uh, and so you see them with the gazelles and the, the gnus or whatever and all these different zebras, and they, uh, they'll get them, and they just start to eat them while they're still alive. And they just keep eating, you know, until, until the animal dies. Well, that's the scene that Daniel gets thrown uh, into the middle of. And he has no promise from God at this point that he's going to be uh, spared uh, a, a really dire end in, in, in all of this. And so there he is, he's thrown into that place. A stone is brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose, uh, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. The king went to his palace and, and he spent uh, the night fasting. So all of the wine women and song that were a part of the royal household every single night, all of that was canceled uh, that evening. No food, no musicians were brought before him. And and, and he spent uh, a sleepless night uh, through uh, 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 in, in thinking about Daniel. And then the king, he arose 
uh, very early uh, in the morning, and he went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying, Daniel, uh, to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? So he poses the question. But, but Darius knows something about Daniel, because he, he repeats it twice in here, uh, the God that you serve continually. Uh, we, have no, we have no record at all, maybe it did happen, no record at all that Daniel uh, you know, uh, was in a, a home Bible study with King Darius and, and uh, took him from uh, Genesis uh, on uh, through to the current uh, place in, in Jewish history and coming to know the true and the living God. All Darius knew uh, about, uh, about Daniel's God is what he saw in Daniel's life. But, but he was watching, and he was coming to conclusions about Daniel's God based upon the quality of life that he was seeing in Daniel. And the same thing is true uh, related to, to us. People know we serve a God. They know we serve a particular God. And our lives are, are advertising, hopefully good advertising, uh, for that. And so he cries out, Did you, uh, was your God able to deliver you from the lions? And then uh, uh, Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. So the first hint that he's, he's alive, my God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they did not hurt me. Uh, so th- this is fascinating. So an angel is dispatched now for helping uh, Daniel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. So uh, it didn't say that he, that he shut the mouths of the lions and made them uh, feel like they had just eaten a 1,200-pound gazelle. Uh, there was a, not another bite. I mean, not even this guy. I couldn't get that. Pumpkin pie, yes. But not another bite of flesh. I'm stuffed. Now, these animals are probably growling and pacing. They are starving, as we'll see in a moment. Very, very hungry and making their way uh, in there. And and yet their mouths have been shut by, uh, by the angel. And he gives the reason for it, because I was found innocent before him. That is, I'm innocent before God related to these charges. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. And Darius knew that. Uh, And and God brings forth Daniel's righteousness as the sun at noonday, as Psalm 37 puts it. And so the king then... He was exceedingly glad for him. Now imagine, uh, you can imagine that the 120 uh, plus the two governors, uh, they came to, to see the scene that morning, and this had to be uh, disheartening, uh, I think, uh, for them. You know, the Bible talks about no uh, weapon formed by man. God won't allow it to prevail against us. I mean, this is uh, quite a picture of this. And so the king was exceeding glad for him, made the command that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king uh, gave then uh, a new command, Uh, another one of those law of the Medes and the Persian commands. He gave the command, and uh, they brought those men who had accused Daniel. Uh, there goes the leadership team. And they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them, bro- broke all of their bones in pieces before they even came to the bottom of the den. Now, this tells us something very important. It tells us that the reason that the lion, the reasons that the lions did not eat Daniel was not because they were not uh, voraciously hungry. They were. The first opportunity they're given to eat, uh, they eat. 
And they catch these bodies uh, before they even hit the ground and begin uh, to, to devour them there. In other words, this is a complete miracle of God related to, uh, to Daniel. And uh, there they are as, as they um, uh, are then eaten by the lions in that, that particular uh, uh, scene there, the wives, the children, and, uh, and the men as the judgment comes upon them. You know, for the, for the guys, the men, the 120 and the two, I mean, they, re- they received exactly what they, uh, uh, what they had intended for Daniel. They reaped what they, uh, they, they had sown. And so the execution of the wives and the children with the, the guilty uh, men, that was a Persian custom. Uh, when you, when, it's important in reading the Bible that we don't look at everything that the Bible records and conclude that it's condoned by God. Uh, God did not give the order for those wives and children to be thrown in. In fact, under the law of Moses, it was forbidden that a child would bear the consequences uh, of the sins of the father. Uh, this was a d- decree that Darius made on his own, and when these men began to play this very dangerous game that they chose to play, uh, they knew uh, what lives, the lives of their family, were being uh, uh, put in jeopardy as a result of it. And Persian law was pretty tough law. And that is, they, they weren't, in, in the ancient world, they were very hesitant to kill uh, uh, the husband or to kill the father and not kill the rest of the family, uh, lest uh, the youngsters would grow up, uh, principally a male, uh, with great bitterness toward the empire, and then uh, be troubled down the, the, the road. And so they made it a policy, just kill them all and uh, erase it, blot the name out. And uh, it, it is a lower maintenance force in this way. Uh, not, it's not God's way, but this is a tough old world. Uh, and and uh, in, in history uh, shows, that, uh, shows that it is. And then the King Darius, he's so excited in really a wonderful way. He wants to honor Daniel and uh, honor Daniel's God. And so he wrote then for this decree to go out through the entire empire to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell on all the earth. In other words, I want the whole world to know this. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. Not just tolerate the Jews and Judaism and the God of the Bible, but fear and tremble before him. And here we see now a changing of the guard. King Darius, then King Cyrus, follows King Nebuchadnezzar and and Belshazzar and the Babylonian Empire, and the Jews as a group of people who remain captives within this new empire have no idea what is going to be their attitude or their policy toward us. And so God takes and allows this great trial in Daniel's life as a child of God and as a Jew and he puts his favor upon Daniel, gains the recognition of the greatness of Daniel's God before this king, so that now that decree can go out through the entire land, and overnight, any uh, anti-Semitism, any persecution of the Jews would, was brought to a screeching uh, halt. Nobody would even think of it. It is interesting to realize how our individual lives as Christians, how much they affect Christians as a whole. Um, everyone is coming to conclusions about uh, Christians uh, a- as a whole on the basis of the individual Christians that they see. And the witness that we have, the impact that we have on the rest of the body of Christ in this community, surrounding communities around the world, uh, for good or for bad, hopefully for good, on the basis of the quality of life 
that, that we uh, live, and this would have been, uh, this was a tremendous thing for this very vulnerable uh, Jewish population, because remember, the Messiah still hasn't come into the world through their gene pool and through their bloodline at this point in their history. And then uh, he said, declaring concerning the Lord, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one that shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? And so uh, this Daniel prospered in the reign uh, of both uh, Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so uh, he uh, would die in the course of, you know, being as elderly as he was, uh, die in, in that position. Daniel did not, as we'll see a little bit later, and we see elsewhere in the Scriptures, Daniel uh, apparently did not follow the exiles in Babylon back when Cyrus gave permission for the Jews to return back to the land. Uh, Daniel did not do that, as I mentioned a few weeks ago. Um, his, his, uh, his health may not have allowed for it, given the, his advanced years, or maybe he just knew, I'm called t- to finish my days out in serving the Lord in this particular context. But, um, and, and so uh, that, uh, this was the position, the position of, uh, that he prospered. Uh, he, he, he was a blessing to these kings that, that ruled, and, and he prospered in, in that particular position. And so here again, as we come to the end of chapter 6, we have the, the recurring theme of the providence of God, of the sovereignty of God in human history, that God is almighty, that God is uh, ruling over all, He is overruling all for His purposes in bringing human history to His God-appointed end. And so this is the overarching theme of the entire book uh, of Daniel. What's interesting about the first six chapters here is that sometimes, and remember, this is being written, uh, initially being written to the Jewish people in, in exile in all kinds of different lands within, uh, within these different empires. And here was just one more way for God to say, I'm in control, I'm active, I'm leaving my fingerprints all over the place so you know that I'm not done with you, uh, that I'm going to keep my promises to you. So he's keeping them encouraged in, in all of this, and they needed the encouragement. Uh, one of the interesting things about these first six chapters is in, uh, in uh, one chapter, God will bring out the sovereign, His sovereignty and His providence in human history on a national scale, an international scale. You've got the image of all of the kingdom, uh, kingdoms that will be world-ruling empires and the history of mankind to the uh, return of Jesus Christ. And then you see uh, the three Hebrew children being uh, saved in the midst of the fire. And then, then you see Nebuchadnezzar, and he goes mad for seven years. And here is God showing that he is his providence and his sovereignty over nations and over empires. And then now here in chapter 6, he demonstrates his, his sovereignty and his providence on an individual level. He jumps from individual to national, to individual to international in driving home the same point. And uh, it's just like, as I mentioned last week, the song, he's got uh, the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hands, the song goes. That's the international level, the big picture. And then the song, very much like Daniel, he's got the itty-bitty baby in his hands. Because there's some times in our life where we need to be reassured as God's people that he's got the whole world under control because we're freaking out in terms of what's happening on that level. And then sometimes we have a need for Him to let us know that He has our individual life under control in His sovereignty and in His providence. And so He meets both of these needs in His people. And so He does yet today in our lives as, as we study the book of Daniel, now as Christians under uh, a new and, and, uh, and better covenant. But we're in, 
in need of that same thing. And one of the things, and I'm, I'm done, but don't, don't get up yet. But uh, I'm done. The, but the interesting thing is, is God is so unafraid of repetition within the Scriptures. And so he repeats himself, he repeats himself, and he repeats himself. And you say, why does he repeat himself? Um, it, it's because from one week to the next, in studying the book of Daniel, for example, uh, we can be in an entirely different place where we don't care what happens to the whole wide world. My life is just blown up and vice versa. And, and so the, the importance of this reinforcement and this encouragement on both levels. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the peace that is ours as your children for knowing that you are in control not only of the whole world, but of our individual lives as well. And thank you so much for how you leave your fingerprints all around our lives to keep us encouraged as you did the children of Israel and your ministry through Daniel and, and his friends to help them to realize that you're still at work. Their circumstances were still hard, but you and your promises were going to prevail. And we thank you for what an encourager you are. Again, we close our time in your word by just remembering your grace. We are humbled by your grace, Lord. We are thankful for your grace and your power and your wisdom and your favor that is upon our lives. And we thank you, even this week of thanksgiving, that because of Christ, because of you, because of our relationship with you, that in everything there is a cause for praise and a cause for thanksgiving. We thank you for how rich you have made us uh, in your Son. And it's such a cost, Lord. We are so grateful. And we bless you and we thank you in his name, in Jesus' name, amen. If